This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. You can reach me at mhs at altamontenterprise.com. I'm talking to Laura Barry, who is like a modern-day Johnny Appleseed, except instead of planting apple trees, which originated in Asia, she is planting native trees. Like Johnny Appleseed, she's not just sticking to her own yard, but has almost a missionary zeal in spreading the word on the importance of native plants. She secretly planted 15 sugar maple saplings around Gilderland this year, counsels others as a master gardener, Cornell Cooperative Extension, helped create a bill that would make a forestry plan for the town, and is transforming her McCownville yard to a native habitat, one plant at a time. I am just eager to start out by finding out a little about you. How is it you got interested in this? Oh, well, um, um, I come from farm people in Connecticut, so I always was um, around nature. Our idea of a fun time would be to look at a dogwood tree and see what was going wrong with it. And um, my brother went on to be a tree farmer, and he is currently a farmer in North Carolina. And I went to become a teacher. And um, since I retired, I got um, hooked in with the... um, uh, cooperative extension master gardener program. So I got better educated. I'm not just self-taught. Um, I'm just a continual learner. For a few years, I was on the environmental conservation committee in the town. It's a, um, an appointed position and we would walk the properties in Gilderland for subdivisions, minor subdivisions. And I did all the tree and plant identification for the reports. And I got to really get a good look at all sections of the the town and what's growing and how things are. And then here in McCowanville, um, you know, we're historic districts. So the trees are starting to age out and they're coming down. And I could see that there is no plan for replacement. There's no plan for care. We've been kind of on borrowed time throughout the town. Um, The cities have um, arbor plans and and forestry plans, urban forestry plans, but the suburbs are a little bit behind. And um, instead of complaining, I uh, decided to talk to people in my community, um, Ellen Manning being the president of our association and um, Bill Kidd, who's a member of our board. And we decided to walk around just McCownville and see how many trees are missing. And we just walked the streets for a few days, marked down things. And we could see that here, just in this little hamlet, over a hundred street trees were missing. If you were going to have like a tree in front of every house. So where trees have come down, there's just stumps. There's been no replacement. Um, and um, it just concerned us. So you love street, street, streets that are tree-lined. Everyone loves shade. It's good for us. So we got thinking that, hmm, maybe we could actually do something about it. So we just started talking and getting educated. And the um, town board and supervisor and town planner 
all on board to listen. And next thing you know, we're having great conversations and developing a law oh, to I, preserve them. I love that story. For our listeners that aren't familiar with Gilderland, McCownville is one of the oldest neighborhoods, and it it's on that edge of Gilderland that's against the city of Albany, and it has recently been designated, a large part of it, a historic district by the National Register um, with houses that are over a century old. And one of the things that defines it is its trees. Um, It's just not like the new suburban neighborhoods where you've got kind of what was pasture land and no trees at all. It, It really feels settled with these overarching branches on the streets, and it has a cohesive sense of community um, with an association that's very, very active. Um, So you got this committee going. Tell us a little about what what happened at those committee meetings, what what things were brought out as important issues. The ones with the town supervisor and the town planner? Right, right. Oh, we just, you know, threw out all our ideas and then um, we would have a couple weeks off. We would reread everything. Peter was so great at turning it into how law talk is for a town. And then so she's would, referring here to Peter Barber. He's the town supervisor and he also I, happens to be a lawyer. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. yeah so um, we would talk about it and we would say, no, I don't know how that could work or we need to include heritage trees or um, what about and then it, what about developers? So then it went into unique to us is we're including developmental properties, too, in the preservation of the native trees. Um, which is really important because if I talk more about the native trees, um, when there is like dead land, there's nothing growing um, in tree talk a, uh, a pioneer forest starts to grow naturally. Um, weeds, we call weeds, they might be um, in um, native grasses, um, native flowering plants, um, milkweed would be one. They just start growing and then they add nutrients to the ground. So the trees that historically would grow like in those barren spots, which now we have like roadsides, open lots um, in in for native species would be um, birch, alder, pines. Um, Let me see if I wrote down a few other ones. Um, Yeah, popular, poplar, which would include cottonwood and stuff in that family. And they prep the soil. So then the more um, 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 long-lasting trees, because those are shorter living trees, um, the nitrogen and more um, materials from those leaves breaking down, then the bigger trees grow that last longer, like the oaks and the maples. And so if you look on our roadside, it's Norway maple. It's uh, Alantheus, which is called Tree of Heaven. Those are all invasives. They create no nutrients. They actually alter the nutrients in the soil. So the native species can't even grow. So um, it's not like, oh, we want to save all the trees. We actually want to get good trees growing, native trees, because native trees support butterflies and, um, and, um, and moths, the caterpillars. A native insect which is a good insect, like a monarch, a swallowtail, they don't eat um, Norway maples. They don't get any um, nourishment. Um, So you need to have um, the natives. 
So if you don't have caterpillars, you don't have birds. And that was another thing that really got me going with the natives, that one clutch of chickadees needs six to 8,000 caterpillars when they are growing in the nest. So that's a lot of caterpillars. So if you don't have any native trees, you can't have, um, and shrubs, and there's some plants too, and, and leaf litter, you're not gonna have the bird population. And you know, the bird population has gone down 50%. Yeah. So can't feed them, we can't have them. So, so many light bulbs have gone off in my brain as you've been talking. <laughs> I was going to, originally I planned to have you go through sort of a list of native trees that people listening might decide to plant, but I oh, now think we I, ought to... I, I can talk about them. We are now listening to this. I think we also had to have a list of some of the trees that people plant I had thought until I was listening to you, oh, a maple. Hmm, that sounds native. <laughs> but you just made a very clear point. Perhaps a sugar maple is native, but a Norway yep. maple is not. So we have to be kind of specific in, in talking about both what is good and what is not good for this native population. And then another light bulb that went off that I'd like to explore more. And... Um, it explains a lot because we write all the time about these controlled burns in the pine bush. And oh, for years, Mr. Fierro going out with his middle school students in Farnsworth, uh, girdling the ash that would come up. And I hadn't had an idea until I just listened to you that these first trees that come up in in a pioneer forest, is that what you called it? They're pioneer, pioneer trees. They're pioneer like the, trees. They, they are like, short-lived. Yeah, like there's a fire. And yeah, like there's a fire so and those, they like sun. And so they come first. And then over mm -hmm. time, gradually, it builds into these more substantial long term trees. Oh, isn't that yeah. fascinating? Isn't so cool? yeah, yeah. how much we don't know. Isn't it amazing? <laughs> how much we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so let's just um, look at some of the trees. If someone's listening and they think, OK, I want a tree in my yard and I want to do what's going to be right for the environment. What are some of the go-to trees that are available, that are native, that are good to plant? Um, one thing I would say is try to shrink your lawn. Try to make yourself have a smaller yard. Um, grass is one of, it's like a dead zone. Nothing um, native lives in it. <laughs> Unless clover is sprouting or you allow violets to grow in it. Otherwise, it, all it is is like almost a toxic waste site because you're dumping all kinds of chemicals and you're um, and there are water. You need so much water for a lawn. So shrink it. So if you could make more an area um, on the edges of your property layered with um, um, native flowers, shrubbery, um, lower trees like uh, pagoda dogwood is a really wonderful one or striped maple. They're a shady, lower growing tree in a, in, in, um, um, underneath. And then, um, all the great trees that, uh, oak, any kind of oak over 500, um, caterpillars are, um, uh, oak, different types and oak can support versus a ginkgo, which none, nothing Thing lives on a ginkgo. Isn't that a beautiful tree? Yeah. Beautiful. I, I, I. Oh my God, the leaves are gorgeous, but they don't support any native um, life. They're pretty. 
Yeah. So well, tell us a bit about your own yard. Our photographer, Michael Koff, took a wonderful picture of you and you happen oh, to be a holding a sugar maple that you look like you're about to plant. But I can see behind you is not what you think of is the suburban, well-manicured lawn, which we now know is a toxic waste site. It's, it looks very green. And what's, what's in there? What's in your own yard? When you have natives, you don't need to water as much, too. It's like 50% less water. Um, but I planted, because I'm learning more, I, I saw in our neighborhood, we didn't have any chokeberry. We didn't, I think we had maybe one serviceberry. So I planted those this year. I'm trying to plant a native every year um, to to help. Um, I inherited Norway maple. I inherited um, 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 burning bush, which I have removed. Um, barberry, which I've removed. But I still have privet. But it has so many blossoms in June. It's great as a pollinator um, plant for the bees. But it. It's not native, but it. I can allow that because then I add the choke cherry, I added witch hazel, um, viburnum. Um, what else did I add? Oh, a birch tree. There were no birch trees on our street um, in McCownville. And a birch is one of the pioneers. So I put it in my front yard where it gets a lot of sun. And um, if in 20 years I don't like it anymore, it's easy enough to take down. Um, but I have a sugar maple fantastic and in the back of our neighborhood there's like an area between the streets there are a ton of oaks red oak white oak scarlet oak and there's um cherry those are magnificent they are like 500 species um for the oaks the cherries support 456 and i also planted pussy willows pussy willows are fantastic too um, they support um, 455 different types of caterpillars. <laughs> Isn't it amazing? It is. And the fact that you know this and you've just learned it recently, how how does one go about learning these things? How You, you, you have to have a, an attention span of uh, uh, for minutiae. You know that? I just, I just like that stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, what's your but I don't source? Know. I mean, where can people go? Is there a, a oh, website that you rely oh, on or a great. book or a, you're a master Here's gardener. A great... So mm -hmm. you probably have some of this at your fingertips and people can always call the master gardeners, right? Um, oh, my goodness. We have a great source there. You should go there just to see the demonstration gardens and the trees and they're all labeled and you can see the history of us people. We like to collect things. So we have all these exotic plants and then we find out, Oh my goodness, they're not so great. <laughs> so the garden, you see it's transforming into more natives, but it has a ginkgo tree there. It has a tricolor beach, which is a, a hybrid tree. Um, it has plenty of things that everyone has been doing. We like things, we collect them. But we've learned that, oops, nature um, um, has a, a meaning for things and we got to maintain the natives. Um, so I learned a lot from Doug Tallamy's book, Bringing, what's it called? Bringing Nature Back to Home. And Nature's Best Hope <laughs> is his yes. latest. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, yep. Uh-huh. There and, you go. Yeah. And the Wild Ones, wildones.org is um, the online um, 
um, organization that prints all kinds of stuff. You can get so much information and YouTube videos. Just Google Doug Tallamy and you can hear him do speech after speech on caterpillars and trees. It's really exciting. It is. I've recently, a, a, a reader lent us this book and a mouse chewed it so I got to keep it and send for a new one but I (laughs) just learned so much that I hadn't understood about this interrelationship things that we don't even still understand but the web yeah and he is set up Doug Ptolemy has set up online a map so every county in the united states including albany county if you're doing what you're doing with the native plants you can register and he's kind of tracking it because his idea and i love it is that individuals can save the planet (laughs) you know that they can make a difference one yard at a time that when you add it all together will actually save some of these species and ecosystems that have been destroyed well said well said that's that i have to be honest with you last summer i kind of hit a low point and thinking like man with the climate change and people's attitudes this isn't good you know we're we're not going to make it like the the warming of the planet is is time is running out and i read an article in the washington post by a scientist who turned it around and she said, oh, time isn't up. If we could just plant more trees because the trees sequester the carbon um, and it will buy us time. So the less we take down trees, and that's been one of my things in the town, is the less we can take down and maintain what we have, um, then there's hope and plant more. I planted about 15 trees this year, little saplings and things all over the place secretly. What do, you, what, what do you mean secretly? How does that work? <laughs> I, just, I just put them in open land and just stuck them in the ground. <laughs> and do they need any tending or do you, if they make it great? Okay. Like the, the maple I'm holding that in the picture, yeah. I was doing some um, um, invasive removal for an older friend of, um, of um, Oriental bittersweet, which is terrible. It's killing the trees because it strangles them. Um, Whereas um, other vines, natural vines um, that are native don't kill the trees, but bittersweet just smothers them and will kill them. So I was removing all of these um, bittersweet vines and I saw these little maple saplings. So I potted them up and um, I'm growing them so I can go get more next year and (laughs) more maples. Oh, Gosh, I love it. Well, I just need to back up a little for listeners that aren't familiar with the Master Gardeners. Could you just tell us, you know, where that Cornell Cooperative Extension is located, where these gardens are, who Mm -hmm. the Master Gardeners are, what the training is, that kind of thing? Sure. The Master Gardener program is by Cornell Cooperative Extension, which is part of Cornell College, the university's land grant part. So it's like the community outreach piece. So if you want to be a master gardener, you get trained by Cornell professionals. And it's like a a year-long apprenticeship and a pretty studious um, six-month training, like equal to college courses on agriculture and, um, and 
herbicides and um, fruit plants, everything, gardening plants, trees, bugs, nuisance animals, everything. And then you apprentice and then you are finally one and you have to volunteer about 60 hours a year in the program. And we answer the hotline. We do have demonstration gardens at Martin Road in Voorheesville, right opposite Voorheesville High School. And there's all kinds of gardens there. There's the vegetable garden, which I work in mostly, where we're doing experimental crops and seeing how they work in all the different counties in the in the state. What are the outcomes? And we document it and take pictures and harvest it and describe what we we eat and stuff. And then there's all kinds of um, um, decorative gardens. There's cottage garden, white garden, herb garden, um, trees, shrubs, grasses. Anything you want to learn about, you can see it growing there. And it's it, and for like pollinators and um, caterpillars and butterflies, it's important to have blossoms throughout the season. So you want early bloomers, mid mid season bloomers, fall. Like right now, you really want asters and and um, goldenrod, which are so important. So you get to see if you go there seasonally, you see what's in bloom and what you like. And they even have an annual um, flower garden in the front of the building, which is really beautiful. There's and, cool things that I will grow next year myself. And so this is open to the public. Someone can stroll by and look at these gardens whenever it moves them. There's to. no charge. You can just walk around and observe. Yeah. And if you ever have a question, you can call the hotline, which I don't know off the top of my head. I just answer the phone um, <laughs> or email. You can email it, too. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. It's, and, you know, they're all garden people. So we garden on Mondays and Thursdays. So it's just all the gardens and we just chat about everything to do with the garden. It's like being with my family. Oh, that's wonderful. And you're such a natural this, I guess, because you were a teacher. What was it that you taught? What was your what did you teach? Well, I wanted to be a biology and phys ed major, um, but phys ed ended up being more fun. <laughs> so I'm, I was an elementary phys ed teacher for 37 years. Oh, wow. Well, that explains why you look so physically fit. So um, tell us more about what you hope will unfold in Gilderland. Just so people know, there's a hearing coming up on this bill. It's September 20th. And mm -hmm. I, as a newspaper, we're behind it. We hope it passes. Let's say it does. What, what, what will happen if the law passes? How, how will it play out? So what will happen is there'll be um, um, actual guidance for the removal of any street tree. And a street tree is the trees that grow in the street lawn. That's the area that the te that is technically part of the highway where usually utilities are. But in McCownville, we have sidewalks. So it's the space usually between the sidewalk and the road. And some areas are grassier than others. So and then there's power lines often over it. Um, so you need shorter trees for the power line sides of roads and you can plant bigger trees if there's enough roots, uh, space for the roots. Um, so you can't just call and say, hey, I want this tree to come down. You, you can't do that. And you can't just take down a tree in the public space. It's going to be a public, it's public property. You can take down, unfortunately, <laughs> maybe we'll change people's minds. You can take down any tree you want in your yard. If that's, that's what, you know, floats your boat, that's not going to change. 
Um, but the ones that are in the public, um, um, technically public land will be preserved and more will be planted. And so then there'll be replacement policy. And the town wants to get into growing them too, um, making a little nursery. CJ is very into it and it's great. It's not hard to do. You get a little seedling, you just nurse it for a little bit. Yeah, that um, sounded great. I tried reaching him. And just so people know, you're talking about Colin J. Gallup, who is the director of Parks and Recreation and mm -hmm. um, has this idea of having a nursery with native trees so that people can buy them and the town may even help plant them. So that's a good way to get people. It'd be great if it's it's like a, a balance, like the town pays so much and does the labor and you have to kick in. Mm -hmm. I think it's important as a homeowner also pays something, mm -hmm. whether a hundred dollars, um, you can't get a tree for that much. If, if you wanted to plant one, yeah. Gade's has great native selection around here. They've, they're doing a great job. The Gade farm on route 20 of having native plants, shrubs, and trees. Um, it's hard to get a tree, um, that cheap, yeah. a good, good so if the town can do a partnership with homeowners in the replacement, um, because some people can't plant, they don't know how to plant. Mm -hmm. And and the, the town is um, going to plant them and you can pick out, you know, within a range of what choices are to plant there. That'd be great. Um, and then they're going to add more and more of every public area that they can. And then for builders, I'm less completely. I'd have to reread it right now. But there's um, regulations on, on the size of the tree that they they can't be removed or everything has to be done to protect them or you replace them. Mm -hmm. You know, then they wouldn't just be taken out and there's no replanting that trees would be replanted in that property or nearby to offset what had to be removed. So and just to make an awareness is so important that this is important and the town cares about it. And if more people learn about it, it really is what Doug Tallamy says that it's up to us in our own yards to care and do something. And being a member of the town, a citizen, I wanted to help do that. And um, so I'm so appreciative that you care too. Yes. you have a, a big microphone that <laughs> I wish it were bigger. More. I wish because for years we've been using our our voice such as it is trying to get a town to do just this, actually yeah. calling for it and to have it happen because of citizens like you is just it gives me goosebumps. It's just thrilling because I honestly believe that especially with something like environmental issues, individuals can make a huge difference. It's just a matter of getting enough individuals invested. Or just a loud one. You know, you, you don't have to have a lot sometimes. <laughs> just a mighty couple or so. Um, but it's so much better to do something than to just complain about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, and, you know, like if my neighbor cuts down their tree, that's going to affect me. Like maybe that was what's shading my my backyard where I had a patio. And, you know, what we do does impact other people. And like a cool little fact is that uh, for every human being, four trees, it takes four trees to replace the energy uh, oxygen that you use. So the trees take in the carbon dioxide and put out oxygen. So... That's why you feel better in the forest, because there's more oxygen. Um, but we need trees for added oxygen. The oceans 
create most of it from the plankton that in the um, in the oceans. That's where most of the oxygen for the earth comes for, from. But trees add to it. And more importantly, they sequester in their trunks and roots all the carbon that we're blowing into the atmosphere I with our cars. I have not heard that statistic before. And I did a podcast recently with the mental health commissioner for Albany County who said uh, he's recommending now forest baths for people that are stressed. Yeah, yeah. And the idea is just being among nature uh, does things to you physiologically, but I hadn't thought about the oxygen part that it might just have to do with that. So isn't that well, interesting? There, there's ions, uh, especially pine trees. Conifers seem to give off ions that affect our well-being. Huh. And it's a different sound. I, I, I'm a big person about sound. I think just the change in sound and smell in a forest just shifts you. It, you know, it touches something that's in us that we don't always come in contact with. I always know kids are much happier outside. Yes. Well, I guess you'd know that from your career of teaching. You, oh, yeah. You and they'll find every bug, every bug and butterfly that is within, you know, 100 feet. Wow. Our, yeah. It, we lose it. You know, we just lose it. Well, there's so much, as you said, that we don't know. And here we are tromping through as if it doesn't matter. So to be sensitive to those natural ecological balances and do what we can to restore them is so important. I just wish we had more time. But do you have any closing thoughts, anything you'd like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, that if, you know, it's a big it's a big lift. But if you can add one native plant, if your yard is so small that all you can do is add a plant like a, a sunflower, um, a, a um, uh, bee balm, um, anything, any just, you know, uh, mountain mint is fantastic. Bees love it or, or herbs, um, swallowtails love parsley and dill and you'll have more butterflies or if you have more space add a shrub every year and if you have a lot of space see if you can add some trees um the ideal balance is 70 percent native 30 percent ornamental non-native but we're lucky if we can get 30 percent native <laughs> that would be great any any gain it keeps getting better so just a little bit just a little bit and my favorite tree right now is a hackberry. Why? Why is that your favorite? Because, I know. <laughs> Why? Why hackberry? Um, because it grows elm-like, and it, the elms were wiped out with the Dutch elm disease, which was an invasive. Um, but they grow in that same manner, and they support a lot of animal life. They have a berry that stays on through the winter. They have a blossom and caterpillars galore. And they're just a stately tree that look beautiful if you had a big yard on the street. It would make it more street-lined. Oh, wow. Yeah. I never they're even beautiful. heard of a hackberry. I'm going to have to look it up. Yeah. City of Albany has been actually planting some on the street, in their street, plant, in their street um, tree planting. So and they'll bring back butterflies that you've never seen before. Wow. So one I thing I just want to end with, because I know you're giving a talk for the Gilderland Garden Club. Just tell us when and where that is in case people want to, you know, go and hear oh. more about this. It's oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> it's September 12th, uh, Monday, 
and around 11, 1130 at the town hall. Okay. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, I'll have unlimited time then. So ooh. <laughs> <laughs> put on your seatbelt for that performance. <laughs> I can just keep going. Well, thank you so much. This has just been wonderful. And I look forward to seeing more native plants in our town. Yeah. Thanks, Melissa. The also, you know, um, go to Wild Ones and you can also go to McCowanville.org. We posted a lot of stuff on our um, project area where you can click on to all kinds of trees and shrubs and go right. It goes right to the Cornell data and you can learn everything about any tree or plant that we posted up there oh, perfect. as natives. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, we have them as street trees and um, yard landscaping trees and shrubs. Well, thank you so much. You're so welcome. What a treat. 